Father, this morning we say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the incredible salvation that is ours, the, the redemption, the restoration that's granted to us because of what your son, Jesus, was willing to do on our behalf on the cross. Thank you that you are willing to sacrifice the perfect lamb that could pay the price that I could not pay, I cannot pay in and of myself. My sin caused my death. And death without you is separation from you for eternity. So thank you for the gift of your son, the fact that you were willing to go in my place, in the place of everyone that's bowed here this morning. And you were willing to pay for my sin and give me an opportunity and hope and forgiveness and life. Thank you that when I accept the price that your son paid, that I get to be restored in my relationship to the one who created me, my father promise to me is that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill me, would keep me, would seal me to the day of redemption, and would grant me all that I need to live life in a way that would bring honor to your name and glorify your name. Thank you. The next few moments, Lord, as we open the word of God, I pray that your spirit would be free to speak to our hearts. Help us to see Jesus this morning and only Jesus. I pray that it would not be my words that are heard here this morning, but it would be the words from you. Guide and direct my thoughts and my words and help us to see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. Um, We're getting ready this morning. Actually, we're going to start a three-week kind of look at the Word of God and at uh, what the gospel is. And one of the um, easiest ways to remember the gospel is to say, good news. It's the good news. And I was thinking about good news this, this week and as I was preparing for this, and uh, I, I, I thought about good news. Good news, uh, if, if you are, how many of you like spring? I know we've been waiting. It's, it's still cold right in the morning, but, but every, all my, we like spring. And I love spring. And, and for me, uh, from April, the beginning of April, the end of March until May, uh, it's good news for me when I see different birds arrive. I, I like birds. I, I like to watch the birds. Uh, it may be because I'm as crazy as the birds. I'm not sure, but I enjoy the birds. And, and so I watch as, as different birds return right? And uh, I, was, I was working, uh, I think it was Thursday afternoon, and a barn swallow had returned, which to some of you that means absolutely nothing, but barn swallows come back the first of May. That's when they get back in this part of, of Maine. And I'm like, he's two days early. Don't tell him, right? Good news! Good news! The sandpipers were back the week before, by the way, and they were just a little bit early too. Good news! And so there's all kinds of different types of good news. I asked my son what would be good news for my son, and he said $10,000. $10, good news! <laughs> I think that's a lot of people, 10000 bucks. Good news. 
And I said to my son, no, wouldn't it be good news you're all done school for the year? And he's like, yes, good news. And I think there's a whole bunch of people here that would say that. If you're a parent here this morning, you might say that your kids remembered to maybe clean their room or maybe they put away things that you've asked them to put away 10,000 times already. Good news, they did it without me saying anything, right? Or maybe you went into work and your boss said, wow, I've been watching you and you have done such a, a marvelous job at, your jo- at, at what we've asked you to do. You're getting a $10 an hour raise. Good news! <laughs> right? That's crazy. Maybe for you, you know, uh, you just, we all just did taxes and we felt the burden of taxes, right? And, and you're, you're getting a letter back maybe this week from the IRS that says, you have been such a good taxpayer that you do not need to pay taxes for the rest of your life. Good news! <laughs> right? Okay, that's crazy. Maybe for you, you walk through the door at home. This happens to me. And you walk through the door, and you open the door up. I was going to say, and the kids meet you, but they don't do that anymore. They don't meet me at the door anymore. But you smell fresh bread baking. Good news, fresh bread. Right? Good news can look like a lot of different things. It can be from very minor things in our life, very small things that really make our day or, or make us feel up in our life. They can be major things that we've been waiting for. Maybe, maybe we're living life with a disease. Maybe it's cancer in our life, and we go back, and we've been praying about it, and we've been doing treatment, and we go back to the hospital, and the doctor checks us out, and he says, I don't know what happened, but it's gone. Good news. Maybe you've been struggling in a relationship, and, and, and it's been really difficult, and you've been going to God about that relationship, and you You've been trying to figure out how do I make this relationship work the the way it should. And maybe it's a family member or it's a child or it's somebody at work. And and all of a sudden it begins to fall in place and the conversations go the way that they're supposed to go. And all of a sudden you begin to heal and you begin to, good news, right? My relationship is headed the way that it's supposed to and God is doing. There's all kinds of ways from the smallest thing to the greatest thing that in our life and in our world become great news or good news. They're things that we are overjoyed. And as I'm saying these different things, there's probably things in your life right now that you go, that would be such good news in my life if that happened. But over the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about the greatest news that there is for all humanity. And the greatest news that there is for me and the greatest news for every one of you who are seated in this seated in this room and in number 2 and in number 3 and watching at home the greatest news for on 4 sorry Carson I forgot about 4 the greatest news is the same for every one of us whether we realize it or not. And the greatest news that has ever been given to mankind was given to mankind by the one who created you and created me. See, when we were created, we were created in the likeness and the image of God himself. And we were created for fellowship or for a relationship with God himself. He created us to relate with him, to enjoy company to enjoy our time with him and sin ruined that 
Sin took the very thing that we were created for and it drove a wedge between God and I and it didn't just wasn't just this little teeny wedge that got driven between us. It was a chasm, a canyon, if you will, that was be put between man and God. And we cannot make our way back to God by ourselves. There's no way for us to do it. And the very thing that we were created for, a relationship and communion with God himself, we were driven from because of sin. And scripture tells us this in Romans that, for as by one man sin entered into the world, then death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And because of that sin, the relationship that we were designed to have with God himself was broken, was severed, was made impossible. And the gospel... The gospel is the wonderful, amazing news that God loved you and me so much, the ones that he created, that he said, I don't want a chasm between us. I don't want it so we can't relate. I don't want them to be out on their own, unable, unable to, to live life in peace, with hope, with joy, the way I created them. And so God looked ahead in time and he said, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for them to be made right with me. And there's only one who can do that, and that's God, my son. He's the one who can do that. And so the gospel, folks, the gospel is the good news, the best news ever. It's the message concerning Christ. It's the message of the kingdom of God. And it's the message of salvation that comes to the person of Christ. The gospel is the infallible truth, the complete truth about the person of Jesus Christ, about the person of God, about his character. It's about how much God loved the ones that he created, his willingness, his, the, the, the depth that he would go to, the length that he would go to, the breadth that he would go to, to make that relationship right between God and his created ones, mankind. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But what makes it the good news? What makes the gospel the good news? Is it that our sins can be forgiven? Is it that we can have a home in heaven? Is it that we can be justified? Justified means we can be made right with before God or right with God. Is that what makes it is, it, is it that we now have access to the unsearchable riches of God himself? Is that what it is? All of those are wonderful truths. All of those are wonderful facts that God gives us throughout scripture. They're all truths that we can stake our lives on. But the gospel, the bedrock, the foundation, the main point of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is wrapped up in its source, and its source is Jesus Christ himself. It is realizing that everything we need as human beings is found 100% in the person of Jesus. That's what makes 
the gospel wonderful. Have you ever had a relationship with someone where you knew that no matter what you did, no matter how far you strayed, no matter how badly you messed up, no matter how badly you hurt that other person, no matter how much of a jerk you were, no matter how much you ignored them, they would still love you 100%. Ever been there? See, with human beings, we always wonder where the line is, don't we? When's it too much? When did I step just too far that they're going to say, hey, I can't put up with you anymore. I don't want you around. You hurt me too deep. The things that you've done are too bad. I can't handle that anymore. We can't have this relationship anymore because you've broken trust. You've gone too far. Well, here's the thing about the person of Jesus Christ. Here's the truth about Jesus Christ. In that well, you and I were enemies of Christ, enemies of God. He said, I love you. You didn't just go too far. You were at war with him. And he said, I love you. I want to make a way that our relationship can be restored. That's crazy. That's crazy. We don't do that. But God does. So the gospel is completely wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. So let me ask this question. So then, who is Christ? Who is Christ? Let's talk about it for a minute. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. This, this, these few verses tell us this, that in the very beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word there is Logos. It's the person of Christ. Jesus Christ was with God in the very beginning. And why is that important? Well, it says this. It says that God the Father, God the Son are one. They were together at the very beginning of time. Before all of creation happened, before we ever existed, before any of, of what we know today in the universe existed, God was and Jesus Christ was with him. The word was there is a little word and it's an I'm going to give you a Greek word. My, my Greek word's easier than the one Mike's have been given you. Just remember that, okay? And you can tell him later that mine are easier than his. Homologumala. You're supposed to remember that. Okay. The little word hen. See, you can remember that, right? Hen. All right? The word was there is this little word hen in the Greek. And what it means, it's an imperfect tense, and it's showing continual existence in past time. That's what it means. The little word means, hen means this. It means that Jesus Christ, the word, was, he was continually in existence. That, that little word, was there. 
has a lot of weight. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden God the Father said, oh, we need God the Son. And so he created God the Son. That's what some people believe. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Word is telling us that God the Father and God the Son always were in existence together. Continually in existence. From past to future, always in existence together. And in the beginning was the word continually existing would be another way of translating those verses. In the beginning was Jesus continually existing. Always has been there. He's God incarnate when he came to this earth as a man. Always was. Now that's important. Why? Why is it important that we understand that about who Jesus Christ is? It's important because this, he has the authority and the ability to do what he said he was going to do because he's God. And what he says is true. Because of who he is, he has that ability, he has that authority. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. That's John chapter 8 verses 58. He said this, I am, that's a reference to Exodus chapter 3 verse 4 when, when God sent Moses to the Israelites and he said, I'm going to use you Moses to free the Israelites. And Moses says, well, what do I do when I get there? How are they going to believe me? How are they going to know that, that I'm supposed to? Tell them this, that I am sent you. I'm going to run over all kinds of stuff here today. That I am sent you. And the people knew that when Moses used the word I am, he's referring to God himself, Jehovah, God. And Jesus in the New Testament, and John says this, he says, look, before Abraham was, I am. I'm God. They got angry because they said, you're saying that you're God. Yeah, that's what I'm saying because that's who I am. That's who I am. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 say it this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things are held together. In other words, this passage is saying this. Not only did he exist with God, he is God, but he created all things. He didn't show up later on the scene. He was part of creation. He was there when he spoke creation into being. He was there when we were spoken into being, when Adam and Eve, when Adam was first created and Eve was created out of Adam. Jesus Christ was there and he was part of it. That's who he is. That's who we're talking about. That's who the gospel is about, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Once again, we're drawn and shown the pre-existence of Christ. He did not become God. He always was and always is and always will be God. That is who Christ is. Got it? He's God. Say it with me. Who is Christ? He is God. It's important. But then we have to do this. What did Christ become? He's God. You say, well, he doesn't need to become anything. Ah, but he did. He became something. If you look at with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. He made the one 
who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did Christ become? He became sin for us. Now, we say that, and we say it so easily, but I need that to sink into your minds this morning. The ever-existing God who lived in complete perfection, completely holy, in perfect relationship with the Godhead. If you read John chapter 17 and see the unity of the Godhead in John chapter it, it's amazing to see the unity of the Godhead, the oneness of the Godhead. Never struggling with one another in their relationship. Holy, perfect, righteous, completely just. The one who was pure, Scripture says, became sin for me. Oh, you can put your name in there because it says us. But he came, became sin for me. Folks, the tragedy and the pain of the cross was not in the physical crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that's what we always think about. It's in the next little phrase. It's when Scripture tells us this, that the Father turned His back on His Son and could not look at His Son because His Son bore my sin. The depth of the pain of that separation, one who was holy was made unholy, scarred by sin because of me, because of you. He who knew no sin chose. Remember I said, what's it like to have a relationship with someone who loves you unconditionally? This is a picture of that love unconditionally. He chose instead of Instead of keeping that relationship intact with his father, he chose to say, look, I see Tim, and I see his need of a Savior. I see the sin in his life. I see that there is nothing he can do in and of himself to fix this relationship, this separation that's between him and God. He can't do it on his own. And I love the one I created so much. I love that guy so much. I love that gal. I love this so much that I will break my perfect relationship and I'll take his sin. And for one time, the father cannot look on the son because of the sin, my sin, that's on him. I love him so much, I'll do that on his behalf. Wow. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become Righteousness, the righteousness of God. Isaiah says it this way, he was despised and rejected. A man of suffering, 
who knew what sickness or sin was. He was like someone people turned away from. Remember the Gospels that it says that people were drawn to the person of Jesus. They were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to, but it says this, that when he took our sin on his body, he was a person that people didn't want to be around anymore. They didn't want to be near him anymore because of the weight of the sin. They turned from him. He was despised and we didn't value him anymore. Yet he himself bore our sickness, our sin, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him as stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. You've got to stop here for a minute, folks, because the word rebellion here is really, really key. Jesus was never rebellious. Oh, we are. Some of us are quietly rebellious. Some of us are internal rebels, right? We wouldn't do it externally. Nobody would know, but internally, like, yeah, right, you're going to make me do that? That's what we do inside. Some of us are external rebels, and we've gotten a lot of trouble for it, right? Because we did it externally. Jesus was never rebellious. John tells us this about Jesus, that he says this, I came here to this earth to do the will of my Father, to be obedient to my Father, not rebellious against, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And it says this, Scripture tells us this, that it was because of our rebellion. And Jesus took that, the one who was never rebellious, who never had a rebellious bone in his body or thought in his mind, said, I will become the rebel for them. I'll take that. The punishment of our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for our iniquity, for our sin. The king of kings, the most desirable, the one who was the most sought after, the greatest, the the, the Lord of the universe became despised and rejected and carried my failures and my frailties and he carried my sin so that I could be made new. He paid the penalty that I deserve to pay. He paid the penalty that you deserve to pay. For if, well, we were enemies, this is Romans 5.10, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? It wasn't just that I was a rebel. It wasn't just that once in a while I had a little white lie in my life. It wasn't just that once in a while I did a wrong thing. Folks, one sin 
ruined my life and separated me for eternity from God, my Father, the Creator. And one sin blackened my entire heart. My rebellion separated me from the person of God. And I needed someone who could do something that I could not do, and as an enemy of God, not only could not do, but did not want to do. And so Christ became sin for me. Well, what does Christ do now? What is Christ doing now? Well, Scripture tells us this. He's still God. He's still, God the, he's still with God the Father. He's still part of the Godhead. He hasn't changed. Remember, he was God. He, he was, was God when he went to the cross. He is still God today. Scripture tells us this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. For if anyone does sin, here's what Christ is doing right now. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only ours, but for the whole world. The Bible tells us this, that right now, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is standing before God the Father, and he is my advocate. An advocate is one who goes before a judge, or in a legal sense, goes before someone of authority on behalf of someone who has done wrong. I have done wrong. I have sinned. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me. I have repented of my sin. But you know what? I still struggle with a sin nature. I don't know about you, but I do. And Jesus Christ stands before God the Father as my go-between, my advocate. And when Satan stands before the Father and says, Look, I told you Tim is a liar. I told you that Tim sins. I told you that that he's mean. And Jesus Christ stands before the Father and he says, Ah, but look at my hands. They're nail pierced. Look at my feet. Look at my side. I paid the price for that. He has a right to be in the presence of God the Father because of what I did. I am his advocate. And folks, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have come to the place where you've accepted what Christ has done on your behalf, he carried your sin, then you have an advocate before the Father right now who is Jesus Christ who says you can't condemn them anymore because the price has been paid. It's complete. It's done. I've paid the price. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, the same way we have been, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 10 says it, but this man, 
after offering one sacrifice for our sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the Father. What that verse is telling us is we have a high priest who doesn't need to keep offering himself because his offering on the cross for your sin and my sin was enough. It was complete. He finished it. He not only went to pay the price for our sin, which he did 100%, but the Bible tells us this, that he defeated death when he rose again the third day, the only one who could ever do that. And so Hebrews says this, you have a high priest who went before the Father with the payment of your sin and he completed his work. It is finished. He did it for you and for me. And my advocate stands there as one who has complete power before the Father because of his finished work on the cross. His work of atonement is done. So what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ, God himself, loved you and loved me so much that he was willing to take my sin, your sin, in his perfect body and pay a price that you and I could never pay so that our relationship, the relationship we were created for in the image and the likeness of God could be restored and renewed and made right. And he stands before his father saying, the job is complete, it is finished. They have a right to be in your presence. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you experienced the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place in your life where you admitted the fact that you are a sinner, that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to restore your relationship with your Creator? You are unable to do it. And you need a Savior. Well, the gospel, the good news, is that you have one. His name is Jesus Christ. And the same way that he has redeemed and restored and saved me, he wants to save you. It's simply coming to the place where you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, repent, confess, repent of your sin, and say yes to the redeeming, finished work of Jesus Christ. And his promise is, to anyone who confesses, I'll forgive. That's his promise. And that promise is for you and for me. This morning, we want to celebrate that. We're going to do it by celebrating communion together. And in the little cup holder that's beside you, you'll see a little communion cup. And we're going to celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did for you and for me on the cross. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 26. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine again until the day when I drink it new in my father's kingdom. So Jesus said, look, it's a symbol, the 
the, the bread or the, or the cracker that's there is a symbol of my broken body and, and the cup or the juice there is a symbol of the blood that was shed on your behalf so that, so that you could be made new, so that you could be redeemed, you could be washed clean. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have that relationship, you can. You can simply ask Jesus for it. You can ask for his forgiveness and he will forgive you. And this morning, while we sing the last song and we do communion, I'll be at the back. And if there's anyone here who wants to talk about that or wants to pray, pray with me, I would love to do that. And we'll have a, there'll be an elder at the back of number two and one at the back of number three. And one of the guys will check in on four as well. And if you're at a place in your life where you you know what, I don't have that relationship. I don't know that forgiveness. I, I have not come to the place where, where I've repented and I've confessed and I've asked Christ to renew me and to forgive me and to make me new, then you can do that this morning. If you're a believer here this morning, as we sing and we worship together, would you celebrate what you have in Jesus Christ? That God himself would send his son Jesus Christ to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we could be forgiven that we could have new life, that we could be restored and our relationship with God made right. That's something to celebrate. That, folks, is awesome news. <laughs> That's incredible news. So as you take communion, just say thanks. Say thanks. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning That when you created us, you loved us so much that in spite of our sin, you wanted to make a way for our relationship with you to be made new and to be made right. And thank you for the willingness to give your one and only son, who is the perfect lamb, the holy, spotless lamb of God, who would pay the price for my sin so that I could have new life with you. I could be forgiven and I could be guilt-free. Thank you that I have a high priest. I have an advocate who stands before the Father right now. And he pleads my case. Thank you so I need that. Thank you. And as we celebrate communion this morning, help us to do it as believers with a joyful heart, saying thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. Thanks for your incredible love. In your name we pray.